It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's that time again, fellas, as Jock Journal presents The Free Parking Show. Just a bunch of country boys who have a lot to say about sports. They invite you to call in, text, or just listen in. So pull up a comfy chair and crack open a beer. It's time to talk sports, chicks, and flicks. Good evening and welcome to the Par for Discourse show. Tonight, Peter, myself, will be hosting the show and Ryan will be taking my place uh, for the debate. <clears throat> for those of you who have not tuned into the show before, this is a weekly Wednesday night show where there are two teams of two and then somebody hosts and the host comes up with a list of questions. And all the, so the first, how many questions we get through on the show are each worth one point. So each team has a representative per question and then the host decides on who gets the point. And then, at the end of the show, we have what's called the final question. In the final question, each each player from each team gets to go and answer. And the final question is worth three points. And whoever the losing team, whoever the losing team is, has to accept or use the punishment given by the uh, by the winning team. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce the teams tonight. I'm going to first start with Amos and Matt from the Matt and Nash show. Guys, what is your team name and the punishment for the other team if you win? Uh, the team name it, is going to be Andy Reid's mustache's mustache. And the punishments. <laughs> yeah. uh, I what did we decide for the punishments? I actually forget. I haven't been. So I wanted to. Here's days. what I. Yeah, what I wanted to do was if we win, the other team, especially Richard, has to blaspheme their favorite team so they can rip up a Tom Brady poster on video and post it to Jock Journal, or, or they can just curse Tom and post it up to Jock Journal for us to see. <laughs> or we could just do it on the air tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Rather get ripped the bandaid off quick if we lose. We're going to go. For Ryan, he's got to come out fully blown and admit that Mike Malarkey is the best toy or the best decision the Titans organization has ever made. <laughs> oh. oh, I like it. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. All right, and the next team up is Ryan and uh, sorry, Ryan and Rich. And I want to hear your guys' team name first, and then I'm the team. And this is going to be classic. <laughs> All right, uh, we came up for Go our, ahead, Ryan. our team up. name tonight is going to be Amos's Naked Skype Buddies. <laughs> <laughs> in honor, uh, in honor of Amos's famous, now famous, uh, run in with uh, some stranger <laughs> on Skype. Uh, and our punishment for tonight, for both of you guys, have the same punishment. Um, if you lose tonight. 
you have to change your Facebook picture, your main profile picture, to a Broncos logo from tonight until after the game, the Broncos game on Sunday. Oh, God. Okay, that's pretty brutal. Okay. <laughs> you better uh, better get the game up. <laughs> I don't want to blast Tom Brady right. either, so don't feel bad. <laughs> oh, man. And if I could give points for team name, I'd give a point to, to Amos' naked Skype buddies because that's the best thing we've had. Hey, now. you're hosting, man. Just feel free to give points where you want to. <laughs> all right. So we're all right. Without further ado, we're, we're going to get to the game show. All right. So the first question is: <clears throat> Carolina went up thirty-one to nothing in the first half this past Sunday, and they got shut out in the second half, still winning the game by a score of thirty-one to twenty-seven. Should they be concerned about how they played in the second half of the game? And uh, Ryan, you said he wanted to go first, so uh, give me your opinion here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this them this should um, be a definite concern for them. Um, first off, if you take a look at this game, it wasn't that they were overly impressive in the first half. Um, if it wasn't for their defense and um, Jonathan Stewart, then you know their offense would have struggled dearly. They, I mean, they really struggled on offense. It wasn't like they were playing all that great to begin with. Then you add on like the fact that you know they had the huge comeback after that. I want you to run. I want to run through some numbers real quick of Cam Newton. Sixteen for twenty-two, one hundred and sixty-one yards and a touchdown. He had eleven carries for three yards. And before you bust out your calculators at home, that's a .27 yard per carry average, which is unbelievably terrible. The one hundred and sixty-four combined yards that he had was the worst that he's had in this season, the last season, and the season prior. He's never done that bad in a game. And three seasons. Um, you look at who they have coming up next. You know, there was a really good defense that they were playing. That's no lie. You know, everybody knows that the Seattle Seahawks are an excellent defense. Um, the sec- They're second in the league in yards per game for this season. Arizona, who the team that they have to play next, is fifth in yards per game. Then they're either going to have to play New England, who's ninth in yards per game, or Denver, who's the best team in the NFL in yards per game? All ten, or all five, or all, excuse me, all three of these teams are in the top ten in points allowed. So their only good defense is left. Um, and Cam Newton has been the reason that this team has won all of their games. If he's not playing up to par, um, then they're really going to struggle against a really good Arizona defense. Wow, yeah, great points yeah, there. I'm agree with great Ryan points on... there. Oh, my bad. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. All right. All right, my bad. Uh, I'm going to agree with Ryan there on a lot of points because uh, <clears throat> playing Arizona in the NFC Championship, is they're going to have to – I think they can score the points, but if they slow down the second half, if they take their foot off the throttle, if they give Arizona any chance of having life, Arizona's going to take advantage of it. Just where Seattle has – that ability, but they're more of a you know grind you down the field kind of team to where Bruce Arians and that offense is always looking for the dagger. They're always looking for the kill shot. They they don't care what it takes, what they're going to have to do, what kind. Of, and they have the best by far three receiver sets. So much talent offensively, and if it gets to a situation where Arizona does come back, Carolina is not the team to spread you out. 
It's not something new. It's never been a part of them with Cam Newton there. It's always been, you know, especially this year, it's been the power run game. and We've played good defense. That defense is good, but if Arizona spreads them out, they like to play that 4-3 base. Arizona will tear them up with three and four receiver sets. It's just too much for Carolina to handle if they let that happen. Same goes for if they make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, New England, great offense, kind of dink and dunk, but they will eat you alive. They'll spread and shred you. And then Denver has a very good defense. And, you know, Peyton may not score touchdowns, but if you're just scoring field goals and beating them, that's all you need, and they're not going to come back on you. Wow, those are both some great points there. Um, wow, this is a tough one, but I'm going to have to give the point to Andy Reid's mustache. So I was going to go to Amos there and their team, so they go one on that one. All right, so question no, in this one, um, Rich, I'll start off with I'll start off with you. And Thank so you. the second question is: the PGA is banning the uh, long part of the season. Uh, <clears throat> so what are your opinions on this? Do you think this is the right move? Wrong move. Um, just, just give me some basic thoughts. Do you think it was good for the PGA, or do you think this is going to hurt the PGA in the long run? Yeah, that's I, in terms of hurting the PGA in the long run. No, because you still got all the young guns out there. But when you're talking about putting, there's more to putting than a long putter. I can understand that some guys, you know, they have different techniques to use the putter with. But you go out on the golf course, you got to read the greens. I switched from a short putter to a long putter because I've got a bad back. Uh, still got to read the greens, and if it improved your putting, I would be making every single putt I hit. Green conditions change on the weather. If, you know, if it's raining, the greens will run slower. If it, you know, if it's freezing cold like it is, they'll run fast. I mean, it's just the conditions of the green. You know, I don't. I can understand why the PGA did it because a lot of the golfers don't use the long putter. But I don't think it really creates that much of an advantage when it comes to actually going out there and playing the game. I, I think they're still allowed to use them in practice rounds, which makes absolutely no sense. But like I said, I went from the short putter to the long putter due to a medical reason. But, I, you know, it's like I said, you got to read the greens. You still got to put under the pressure. You got to hit the pressure putts and everything else. But as far as damaging the tour, no, you're not going to damage the tour with Jordan Speed. Uh, Roy McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, all these other guys coming up. And if it really was a competitive advantage, the guys that were using it would be winning majors left, you know, left and right. All right, Matt, what do you have to say? Um, you know, to be clear here, I, I definitely – I think this was a good move by the PGA, I think. And let's be clear about what happened here. They didn't ban the long putter. They banned the anchoring stance that someone takes when they use the putter because the long putter allows you to anchor it to your body and give you a firmer stroke and give you more control over that stroke. And on a putting green, that can be the difference. I mean, we're, me we're measuring things in, in centimeters on a putting green, right? That's a huge difference on, on a putting green. Every little touch on the ball matters. So when you get to anchor it against your body and get that extra pressure, that extra balance, it, it can really give you an edge. So I can see why the PGA did this. And I think the people that are upset, I, I can understand them being upset, right? They've gotten used to this kind of a stroke the whole time. But the reality is they've been playing with an advantage. They can anchor the putter to their body and get an extra, you know, get extra balance, get extra touch on the ball. And that's really why they did this rule. And it's not fair to the people who aren't using uh, a long putter. 
when it comes down to it. So I think this is a great move by the PGA, and, and I think it's going to be uh, better, level the playing field, and better all the way across the board for, for uh, the games. It becomes more fair and, and more even. Everyone should be, here, here's the reality, everyone using the same, you know, um, you want to say using the same clubs, but having to use the same instruments when they play the game. They're all having to hit play on the same course. They should have to use the exact same instruments. So I think this is a great move by the PGA. For the record, they don't all use the same instruments either. They're different kind of wedges, different kind of drivers, different kind of lofts to clubs. Everybody uses something different. I'm just putting that out there. All right, Matt, real quick, what do you have to say no, to that's... rebuttal that? I just want to get your opinion here. No, you're exactly right, and they're still able to use any kind of putter. Again, it's not the club that you're talking about. They can use any kind of club they like. It's being able to anchor it, so this would be the difference. Can someone that's short go up there and put down a you know a six-inch block and stand on it to hit a driver? It gives them an edge, right? It's something added to it. When they can anchor it against their body, it's adding another dimension that someone that uses a shorter putter isn't able to do. They can all use any kind. You know, they can still use the long putter. Go for it. You just can't anchor it to your body because that gives you an unfair advantage. So they can, you're right, they all use different clubs, and I think that's exactly right. And like I said, you still got to read wow. the putts, you still got to make the greens and pressure situations. This is a this is a tough decision, and I got to say, both of, both of you guys make some really great points here. Oh man, but I'm gonna have to give it up to, to Matt on this one. He. That was some great points he made there right at the end of his argument. So, any reads mustache goes up another point to two nothing. <clears throat> okay, now we are on the question three. And um, question three is, out of all the new NFL coaching hires, which one of them is the best hire? And uh, we're going to start this one off with Amos. You go first on this one. All right, I'm going to go with, and to me, it's by far the clear choice, is Adam Gase going to the Dolphins. I don't think there's any really much doubt about it. Is he was one of the hottest coaching names in the Dolphins and went out and got their guy, and they got him quick. And I think that proves a lot as to where you see the NFL higher spectrum kind of slow down and teams kind of selling with their offensive coordinators with you know the higher-profile coaches going. Adam Gase has been a guy who's been in the league since 2005, started with Detroit, went to San Francisco in 2008. Uh, went to the Broncos, became the offensive coordinator after Mike McCoy left and became the Chargers head coach. And he orchestrated orchestrated the 55-touchdown season for Manning and them receivers. And and then last year with Chicago, did a great job midseason to forward Jay Cutler of, you know, getting him implemented and actually running that offense how it should be ran. And this year with Ryan Tannehill, the Dolphins have a lot of talent on that offense. Lamar Miller, uh, Jarvis Landry, uh Jordan, I think Cameron Jordan, the tight end, and then, I mean, obviously Anna Hill, who's probably not been as good as he should be, and I think Gase is a perfect guy to go on there and progress him to where he should be, and I think he's one of the guys who can do that with quarterbacks at any age, whether it's you know a young guy or a guy who's been in the league eight or nine years. I think he's a perfect guy to go on there and help fix any quarterback's problem, and there's a lot of stuff on that defense there's some problems that need to be fixed sue kind of needs to be handled and i think he's a guy he's had a lot of high profile players he's been with john fox he understands how an order should be ran he's going to settle sue down he's going to get a good d coordinator in there and i think the dolphins under adam gates are going to be a legitimate afc east threat all 
Wow. All right, Ryan, what do you got to say? All right. <clears throat> there is an obvious choice in this, and it's not Adam Gase. Uh, first off, he has like oh, he has zero head coaching experience in here. Um, you know, the guy has worked wonders, but he's also worked wonders with top elite level players. Um, of course, he was working with Peyton Manning in um, in Denver, uh, and had the you know had the opportunity to work with that offense before Peyton Manning started to deteriorate, as we've seen. Um, so like 99.9% of that's Peyton Manning, not Adam Gase. Then you look at where he is now. Um, all Sean Jeffrey, uh, you know, the talent that they have on that offense, Matt Forte, still one of the best backs in the league. Uh, and then, you know, Lang- or, um, Langford under that, um, they have really good tight end. They have great weapons on that offense. This offense was 23rd in passing last season. Chicago Bears were. They did have a good rushing offense, but a lot of that has to do with having a guy like Matt Forte that's so good out of the backfield and having Langford as backup who really cemented himself this season. But 23rd in passing, and they're going to take him in to Miami um, where obviously the most important factor for Miami is Ryan on this giant contract that that they gave him, and they need him to start producing if this team wants to take that next step and become a playoff team. Um, if you've got a guy that's 23rd in the league in passing, bringing him in as the head coach is not the way to get your quarterback um, to that next level. Uh, the guy that is uh, the best hire out of this class is Chip Kelly. The guy has head coaching experience um, a plenty, you know, going back into college and his three years that he spent with um, the Eagles. He's 26 and 21 in his three seasons there, um, two 10-win seasons back-to-back to to start off. And then he goes to San Francisco right now, who's really struggling and needs to find an identity. They have a very banged-up roster, you know, very, very weak roster. Um, So what do you do? You hire a guy who won games with Nick Foles, won games with Mark Sanchez. He had a top-five offense in scoring with both of those guys, Mark Sanchez and – Mark Sanchez and Nick Foles. He had top five in scoring two seasons in a row. This guy has a system that works. Um, the gold standard for coaching is Bill Belichick in the NFL. There's no mistake about that. Bill Belichick even said this is a great hire. He's a great coach. Um, and he's very hard uh, to plan against and to, and to game plan against because his offense is so intricate. Obviously the best hire. Well, oh, all right. The best so, thing Chip Kelly ever quick, did at Oregon so, was take them to a national championship. And he lost. Brian oh, Kelly did the same thing. He wouldn't make a great NFL hire. And he destroyed an organization inside out his last year. It's not a good pick. That's a desperation pick. All right. Well, um, on this one, I'm going to give the point to. Amos's naked Skype buddies, they uh, Ryan made some really good points there about Chip Kelly, and I think that Chip Kelly is going to help fix that offense. So I'm going to I'm going to give a point over to them. So it's now two to one with um, even when I lose, Amy, I win. Much as on top of <laughs> my boy Chip. <laughs> <laughs> so now we go with question number four, and <clears throat> question four, Matt. I'm going to start you off. With, I'm going to have you go first on this one. So question four is. 
with teams already playing 40, game, 40 or more games in the NBA this season, who do you see winning the NBA championship this season? All right. So I, I was kind of excited. You know, this is a great question. Uh, I'm not going to take probably the the favorite, you know, everyone's darling, the Golden State Warriors, for a couple different reasons. One, I, I'm pretty close to San Antonio here, so I get to hear a lot about their games. And I want to point some things out, right? Right now, these are, these are pretty much one and two in, in the league right now. Golden State, obviously playing very well, but there's some key things down the stretch that I think that's going to make the difference. I think San Antonio wins it again for a couple reasons. One, their record's not, I mean, they, they've only lost two more games than Golden State. There's 36 and six. Without Golden State doing what they've been doing on offense, we're talking about the San Antonio Spurs all year. They're having a great year so far. They're 24 and at home as well. So, but one of the key things that I think comes into play here is this. Golden State, clearly, probably the best offense in the NBA. I think we just saw that when they obliterated Cleveland. It played very, very well. No one can stop that team. But San Antonio, I think when it comes down to it, can stop them for one reason, defense. Golden State, excellent offense. Right now they're ranked 18th in defense in the NBA. The San Antonio Spurs, obviously not as you know potent on offense but they still have the sixth best offensive rank in the nba and the first defensive rank in the nba giving up a league low 89 holding teams to 89.6 points per game so i mean when you look at how these teams stack up against each other yes golden state runs over people but they haven't really played a true really really good defense and san antonio is playing great great defense and in the nba defense is what wins games. Offense is good, but if you have a defensive team that can go out there and shut them down, that you shut Steph Curry down, that puts them in an awkward position. And the other players can play, but they're very streaky. So can they come up with some points? Yes. But I think when it comes down to it, the San Antonio Spurs are built for the long haul, and I think they're going to take it this year. All right. Well, Rich, it's your turn to, uh, to see what you can, what we can get from you. <laughs> that's tough to beat but I, you know I think San Antonio like I, I kind of agree with Matt I think it's a little too too late in the season you know, too early in the season like he said they've only played 40 games you play what 82 in a year so the season's only half over a lot can happen between now and then uh, I, I keep thinking back to the losses that Golden State had uh, they were missing Steph Curry one game Dallas came in there and beat them what are they 38 and four or something like that uh hold on one second yeah 38 and four san antonio is 36 and six oklahoma city's 31 and 12 and like i said that western conference for the state warriors they're only leading it by two games right now so you know it, it's a little too late to say but i i think it's going to be a team out of the west the cavaliers they're the top team in the east but like <laughs> we all saw what happened uh, last night the way they get blown out by Golden State. And, you know, this is supposed to be LeBron James and his walk back into the finals with a healthy roster. Well, they've got a pretty much healthy roster now, with the exception of Kyrie Irving, who just now came back. It's getting into the flow of things. But if we're talking about surprise teams, I'm going to stick with my homer pick and say the Dallas Mavericks. I know they've been one and done the last few years, but they've they had the formula. They've beaten Golden State once already this year. I think they can do it again in a seven-game series. Uh, Deron Williams looking like an all-star again. Uh, Chandler Parsons is healthy. Wesley Matthews. Uh, out of all people, Ja Ja Patrulia. 
beast mode up on, up in the paint protecting that rim. So you know you get into a seven game series, one one game, you know, like a, like a like Matt said, you can go into these one games and blow these bad teams out. But you get into a seven game series, anything can happen. Wow, those are Thank some you, great Richard, points the there <clears throat> by both of you. And, well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to have to have to give this point to Andy Reid's mustache on this one. Uh, Matt just killed it with his answer about the Spurs there. Uh, you know, it's funny because last night on <clears throat> on the Beers and Shears show, Amos and, uh, Amos and Ryan had talked about the Spurs, and a lot of people haven't been talking about them. So point to them. And, uh <clears throat> So we have another five minutes before our first break. So we'll go ahead with another question. And this one, uh, Ryan, you're going to take the first. You're going to answer first on this one. This is question number five. <laughs> and the question is: Julian Edelman played for the first time since uh, being injured against the Giants uh, this past week. So this past weekend was his first game since he got hurt when he was playing the Giants. How much of an impact did he have on the game? A huge one, absolutely huge. There's no question about it at all. Um, ten catches on 16 targets, 100 yards. Also had one carry for 11 yards out of the rushing game. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple things to bring up here because that is a great performance on its own. But it's even better when you look deep into the numbers. That's just he is just barely under 30 percent of their total offense in this game. Uh, and by and that's being a wide receiver like that. I mean that's unbelievable. Thirty uh, percent uh, of their offense. He's thirty nine percent of the passing targets. Um, so uh, you know almost forty percent of the targets went to Julian Edelman. The other thing, his long of the day was fourteen yards. So that means that these were all dink and dunk. You know, try to get the first down, move the ball, uh, which is critical in a close game. And he had a gigantic impact. You know, every time that they needed that play, that you know, that third down and and trying to get down to the, you know, trying to move the ball on third and medium, third and long, uh, you get the ball to him. You know, trying to set up the offense, get the flow of the offense down. The other thing too, all these short plays are exactly how Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick wrote this offense for this game, because of all the you know all of the injuries and all the woe that they've had on their offensive line. They wanted to get the ball out of Tom Brady's hands fast, and the way that they did that was Julian Edelman. They got it into his hands quick. That's why you see these you know a bunch of short catches like this. So without Julian Edelman. Like you don't have the yards, you know, you, that you have if he's not on the field. You don't have the rhythm of the offense, but you you also have Tom Brady getting sacked four or five times in this game, because the offense would or because the defense would have had more time to get to Tom Brady. So he was not only did he have a huge game, but he was a gigantic part of this game plan, um, and you know a very big reason why they won this game. And they might not have been able to hold off Kansas City. Um, you know, if they did not uh, have Julian Edelman in this lineup. Yeah, I'm actually going to go. All right. I, well, I'm going to agree with Ryan you, here because you hear, you hear the Patriots when they're talked about by, you know, analysts, NFL Network, ESPN, they're always considered as this offensive machine that just keeps on rolling. Julian Edelman is absolutely the oil that keeps the machine driving. He's just heads up play everywhere on the field. He's gonna he's a guy who scares defenders because they know one way or another 
he's going to get that. He's going to fight for that first down. The only bad catch he's made in the last two years that I've seen is the uh, pick he caused during Indy because he beat up Richard Sherman for most of the game just on crossing routes. The Patriots run an offense with the option routes. You have to be smart to be in that offense. It's a lot of going up to see what the linebackers and safeties are doing and splitting off on different routes. And he has that down, and Brady knows what he's going to do. He's a guy who he is. He just – that offense is so much better with them, with him in there. And he had, I think, 16 targets, 10 receptions. He's a guy who gets just a crazy amount of targets each game. He, I mean, he does. He makes that Patriots offensive run. And I, he's not considered an elite receiver, but he'd probably start on more than half the teams and probably be their best receiver. He's a guy who's always out there. He knows what he's doing. He knows what Tom wants out of him, and he's going to fight for every yard. He's going to fight for every catch. And, yeah, I mean, basically put, he is just – he's the oil to the machine. And without him, they're completely different. They can't survive as an offense. Well, you you both made some great points. Uh, and I'm going to have to <clears throat> give the point to <clears> – I'm <throat> sorry. Uh, Amos is naked Skype buddies because Brian used some great statistics there with his argument, uh, the percentages, and then he talked about the stats from the game that as long as catch a 14 yards. So I'm going to give the point to them. All right. So it, we're now I happy to do the show. So I take Peter it to a commercial break. <laughs> every time Peter has to say Amos is naked Skype buddies, I think we all win. <laughs> all right. We're going to head into the commercial break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Well, the boys are talking, and the show is really moving along. But we need to take a break before a fight breaks out. People end up in the hospital. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back now, you hear? <laughs> that boy's good. Mm-hmm, good and terrible. Cards for kids, one eight seven seven cars for kids. Donate your car today. One eight seven seven cars for kids. K A R S cars for kids. One eight seven seven cars for kids. Donate your car today. Also on the web at carsforkids.com. That's cars with a K. We're a recognized 501c3 charity organization, so you'll receive a maximum tax deduction. What's more, you'll receive a free vacation voucher of three days and two nights. One eight seven seven cars for kids. K-A-R-S, cars for kids. One eight seven seven cars for kids. Donate your car today. Are you looking for the web's best sports news? Visit jockjournal.com. Sports media has lost its touch. It seems that journalists are scared to report what they see for fear of losing access to the teams they cover. At jockjournal.com, you get inside info on the entire NFL community without all the politics or fears other writers have. That's jockjournal.com. When you need the NFL sports news, information, opinions, fantasy, football, or discussions, there's only one place to go and it's jockjournal.com okay the boys have settled down one has a beard in and the other has a steak on his eye but why don't you give them a call and tell them what you think 
All right, welcome back to Par for Discourse, our weekly Wednesday night <clears throat> game show. And so right now, we are halfway through the questions. Uh, we're going to try to get to all 10 before the final. And we'll give you a quick score update as we come out of halftime, as you can see today. Right now, Andy Reid's mustache is has three points, and Amos's naked Skype buddy has two. So now, now we turn this to question number six. With the NFL honors are... The weekend of the Super Bowl. Who was your? Who is going to be your pick for Coach of the Year? And Rich, I'm going to have you take this one first, and then Matt, I'll have you go after Rich. So, uh, Rich, why don't you take it away and give us your answer? You know, I, I just now thought of this, and I'm not going to go with the obvious choice of Riverboat Ron Rivera, and that would be Ryan's pick. I'm actually going to take uh, Jack Del Rio from Oakland for a few reasons. Derek Carr from last year to this year has kind of grown in the offense. His numbers drastically improved. I think a couple weeks ago we were talking about the you know the the most improved player of the year award, and that was my vote. Uh, you look at this team. You know they started. They went three and three last year. Jumped up to seven and nine. When you're playing with a, a second year quarterback, a rookie wide receiver, then you go out and you get Amari uh, uh, Cooper. You you. Brought in, you know, Charles Woodson improved this year. Like I said, Khalil Max improved. The team as a whole improved. For a minute there, you know, it's like we we joked how you know how I kind of cursed the Raiders in the long run, but you know, the first half of that season, they they were kind of in the talk of making the playoffs, and you know, they they're just a few pieces away. And for that reason, I'm gonna like I said, it's my pick personally is Jack Del Rio just for the job he's done of you know going from the, taking a team that went three and thirteen. To a team that wins seven and nine. All right, Matt. What do you have okay. to say? What's your What's your pick? Yeah, no, Richard. I really appreciate that. And and I, my pick, honestly, would be Jack Del Rio. If if it was like good coach of the year, or you know, uh, really did a okay <laughs> oh. job, coach of the year. <laughs> But it's it's not it's it's right the coach of the year for the NFL. Jack Del Rio did good, I'm sure. Three and three and you know won three games, and now they won seven games. That's great. You know, it may be GM of the year for Reggie McKenzie for coming back and and the kind of players that they assembled, what they did with Crabtree, I can get. But we're talking about coach of the year who took their team and did the most with it that they possibly could. And you said it in the beginning. I was shocked that you didn't go with it. It's Ron Rivera. You can't look. This is a team that went 15 and 1 this year and I don't think we're giving that really enough credit. 15 and 1. They lost one game this year. And, and I mean not to mention look, the first team in a long time to win their division, they have three consecutive NFC South titles, right? Um not and not the first team, the first team in the NFL South. They went 15 and 1 this year, but there's some more important things about this team. One, when that happened with Greg Hardy, they got off him right away. He's he he is not a controversial coach. They're not going to allow a bunch of BS to happen on that team. They're not going to allow players that don't conform to a good wholesome image, which is rare in the NFL number 1. So they promote a wholesome image and they promote what we want to see out of the NFL and from their players. The second thing I think is the biggest thing and the reason why they're 15-1, he has shown willingness to adapt and change. If you look at some of the things that he did toward the beginning of this year and coming into this year, he really made a philosophical change from kicking field goals to running the ball on fourth down when you're close to the goal line. And he really stuck to that for most of the year. Despite that one loss in Atlanta, the reason this team has been winning is because of a fundamental change from Ron 
Ron Rivera that, hey, kicking field goals when you're close to the goal line doesn't win football games. So you know what I'm going to do? Even on fourth down, I'm going to go for it and, and take the win or loss. And that gutsy approach is, is led them to 15-1. and one, And that's the reason why they went 15-1. and one. That is a team that wants to put you away. They want to go for it as hard as they can, and they're not going to kick a field goal when they're down close to the end zone. So he's not just – right. that's a risky move for a coach to make. And it paid off. And I don't think we're giving them enough credit for him really ta- making a risky move and then getting the rewards for that risky move and really sticking to that no matter what. So, I, I mean, my, my vote is Ron Rivera no matter what. 15-1, and one, that's an incredible season. It, to lose your best receiver at the beginning of the year and still go 15-1 and one is unbelievable. And then to do what they've – I mean, this is probably the eventual Super Bowl champion we're talking about here. So I don't think there's any way it goes with anybody else. And, and there's a lot of other coaches that you could pick that had good years. Andy Reid, our team name. But at the end of the day, they're 15-1 and one and – the things, the intangibles that he's, that he's really shown with that team and with philosophy and willingness to adapt to, to the game in 2015 is really impressive. So that's my vote. Yeah, but wow. Bruce Arians, you know, went one and done. And hold on, hold on. Bruce Arians went one and done in the playoffs last year, wins coach of the year. So it's not necessarily the team with the best record is going to win it either. I agree. I think that's a legitimate candidate. But Ron Rivera has been building that team for how many years now? Four or five since he's been there with Cam Newton, Jack Del Rio improves the team. I, I'm just saying that the team was expected. You said it in your first statement. You, you know they they've won the division three years in a row. I mean it's no surprise that he's a good coach. Matt, what do you got to say to that? I can't. I can't. Oh, oh okay. I mean, I mean Cat Jack's a good I, I don't, head coach, I, but yeah. He wins head coach of the year. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I agree, but it, a lot of those things. But it still comes down to the intangibles. I think that's what sets him apart. It's not just on record; it's the intangibles that I talked about. But there's a lot of other coaches, and Richard pointed it out. I mean, we could have said Bruce Arians or Andy Reid that did way more with way less than what the Oakland Raiders had. So to say Jack Del Rio is it? I mean, you could point to you know the Kinsey Chiefs lost Jamal Charles and still managed to pull out one of the better rushing team. If anything, Andy Reid can come in over Jack Del Rio and Bruce Arians and some other people. So it's still it's still Ron Rivera at the end of the day. All right. Well, all right. So I was kind of surprised no one picked Andy Reid considering they started one and five, one to eleven and five. Good point there on your part, Matt. But I'm gonna have to give it to Matt over here. Uh, definitely made some great points. And let's not forget, this team also lost their best wide receiver in Kelvin Benjamin before this season even started. And Rich and I were actually doing the show, just him and I, wrote them off completely pretty much, pretty much before the season started. So Matt, great points. He took his team with a lot of injuries and some change to the playoffs with a 15-1 record. So point goes to Andy Reid's mustache, and they take a 4-2 lead. All right, guys, so now we're heading into question seven. And... Amos, you're going to be the first one to take this one. So let's see if you can extend the lead. Or Ryan, can you can you close the close the gap to one point? And question seven is: Out of all the new NFL coaching hires, which one is the worst? Oh, I think like I, I think the obvious choice here, and I think for a lot of people, would be Malarkey. But the one thing Malarkey has going for him is the ownership and the players that bought into him. To where my guy is going to be Dirk Cotter a guy who was an offense coordinator for Jacksonville Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons, which neither team was relevant with him as their offensive coordinator. And then you fire a guy like Lovey Smith, 
Lovey Smith, the guy who has had built great defenses and made it to the Super Bowl on a great defense and an offense that just lacked playmakers everywhere. Yeah, they lost, but they they got there and they beat a lot of good teams to get there. And he was building a system. They were much better defensively this year when they than they were last year. The only person on that team that I can publicly buy into him player wise is James Winston. And if you're going to hire an offensive coordinator just because your quarterback really likes him, I think that's the wrong way to go. And I think it's going to take a step back for this team. And I think it's going to be a very bad decision to blow up on them. Lovey Smith was building something there. He's a very well and respected coach. And what they did to him was just dirty. And to replace him with a guy like Dirk Cotter, to me, it's just insane. And I no right NFL world should that ever happen. Oh. Strong opinion there. I'm going <clears> to <throat> – I was – I don't think Dirk Carter is a bad uh, pick for this, but I'm going in a different way here because um, Carter has succeeded as a head coach in 1998 to 2000. He went 26-10 at Boise State, and then from 2001 to 2006 at Arizona State had an overall record of 40 – Different and 40, level. 40-43, and 43, which 66-44 and 44 overall. And it is a different level um, – but your quarterback is the key like key part of your offense or your entire football team, to be honest, in the NFL. And Jameis Winston really wanted to be him. And this team's success is really tied to how Jameis Winston performs. So you want to be able to give him exactly what he wants. And he has all the weapons that he needs on offense. They do have a really good offense. Um, then Lovey Smith, the way he was let go is unfair. And I do agree with that. We've talked about that before. Um, but you ultimately have to make the decision that's right for your team. And they thought that keeping Cotter on was the best move for them um, moving forward because you know because it's their franchise quarterback. Their whole franchise um, is wrapped up in this one player, and he really likes this guy. He really wants him to stay. The ownership really likes him. Um, but I'm going to go with Mike Malarkey, 18 and 39 as a head coach. And you said it is you know. Uh, college ranks is a whole different world, but this is in the pros. He's proven that he's bad in the pro level. Uh, he's, as I said, 18 and 35. He's only ever had one winning season as a head coach, and that was his very first year, 2004, with Buffalo. They were 9 and 7. In week 17 of that season, he goes in, and all he has to do is beat um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they make. They go to the playoffs, and Pittsburgh rested their starters because they were 15-1. and one. Rested their starters, and they still, Buffalo still lost to them, which I think is probably the most embarrassing head coaching loss of the 2000s, maybe. I mean, you can't beat the second string. And by the way, that second string was a rookie Big Ben starting at quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger in his rookie year, it barely had any starting time, was thrown in. Week 17, uh, with the rest of the second stringers, ended up beating them. After that, he goes 5-11 and uh, and then leaves Buffalo. Jacksonville goes 2-14. and The last nine games with Tennessee, 2-7. and I mean, he's not a good head coach. He's proven it at three different teams now that he cannot win. Uh, I knew that like some players were behind this. There's a lot of defensive players that didn't like this. And they were able to keep Dick LeBeau, which I think was very critical Um for them to, you know, I think he's an amazing defensive coach, maybe the best defensive coordinator in all of football, but he's, he's, um, terrible 
terrible record, terrible track record that he's proven that he can't um he can't win. He can't win at this level. He's no good in the NFL. And this the Titans owners too knew this was an unpopular pick. They knew that fans didn't want this guy. That fans wanted to go after um you know guys like uh guys like Hugh Jackson and guys like um McDaniels who Every, who make, who even said that he was interested in this job? He wanted um, to take this job, you know. And, and it's and then you you leave a guy who coaches every single year, has a top five, top ten offense, has four Super Bowl rings as a coordinator and as a, an assistant coach. Uh, you leave him for a guy that went two and fourteen in his last full season as a head coach. I mean, unbelievable. I think it's easily the worst head coaching hire. Three points by both. Um, he did, yes. Yeah, so 17 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Yeah, it's not like he had limited playing games. Oh, I mean, he didn't play. I mean, he's still a rookie. He didn't play um, in a lot of the games, and it's a rookie quarterback playing uh, with his second stringers, you should be able to win that game. Yeah, he did start 14 games, and he did have his second stringers in there with him. It was a, I forgot about Buffalo having, having to win that game to make the playoffs, but I think the team that you were so stacked at, they didn't, you know, Pittsburgh was very, very uh, deep with talent on both sides of the football that not a surprise they won the game, but I'm going to have to give the point to Ryan here. I definitely think Malarkey was a bad hiring. Um, as Amos would say, um, a bunch of Malarkey that he was hired in the first place. So I'm going to give the point to Amos's naked sky buddies on this one just because he used this to talk about Malarkey's um, his bad, his bad track record as a head coach in the league. And also Ryan, Ryan is our resident Titans fan, and he knows a lot about that team and the organization. So he definitely understands that this is a bad coaching hire. So... Now we are going moving on to question eight. And um, so, Matt, you'll take this one first, and then Rich, you'll go after him. And question eight is, a BBC reporter, there's evidence of match-fixing in tennis. Do you think there's match-fixing in all sports or just international sports such as, such as tennis and soccer? This is a great question. Who's and, going uh, first? You know, I'm oh, going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to the big four. So when we talk about this, I'm assuming we're talking about right NFL, NBA, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball. So if we're if we're looking at it in context to the sports we have here, so and my answer is, uh, my answer is yeah. I, I think that there probably is match fixing happening in the big four uh, sports that we have here in the states for a couple different reasons. So the first thing that jumps out to me is this revenue sharing. All they're not independent entities. All of these companies, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the Major League Baseball, all do heavy revenue sharing. That means this, to take it kind of home. What's good for one is good for all of them. 
The NFL is the worst one with 75% revenue share just about. So they keep a portion of it, and the rest of it goes into a pool that they then split up between all the teams and the owners. So first thing is they're really not independent entities, right? The next they, they share a lot of that revenue. So even when a team does terrible, they did well because the NFL did well. So it's in the NFL's best interest in every team, even a losing one, that the NFL has watched TV and there's good things happening. The second reason is it's an entertainment business. And the funny thing is the NFL actually argued this all the way to the Supreme Court on this very point, that they are an entertainment business and not a sports business. They used the term saying that it was their legal right to do storylines. In quotations, that they used that phrase, that they have the legal right to do storylines because they're an entertainment business. That puts them on par with the WWE. I mean, that's not much different in how they manufacture and foster storylines to get people interested in it because of things like revenue sharing. And the last couple are, are you know, the, the ticket you buy really doesn't entitle you to anything. So even if you believe a team is match fixing or doing anything, you don't have any recourse. Someone during the Spygate, a, a fan actually sued the NFL over that, you know, a Jets fan saying he wanted his season tickets back. And the, and the court said, no, you know what? You have a legal right to that seat. And the rest is, is not up to you. You have no right to anything else that happens within the NFL. And the last one is this. There is no law on the books currently that forbids a league from fixing its own game. Outside people can't fix a game. That's illegal, right? Hence Pete Rose, something like that. Or gambling on on baseball or or trying to sway the outcome from the outside. There is nothing on the books saying it's illegal for a league to fix its own games for the betterment of that league. And I think if you look around the NFL, you'll see evidence of this, right? Your guys, some of your favorites are are the New England Patriots. We just played in Gillette Stadium, and I wouldn't didn't cry about it. You didn't hear me say it on my other show, but mysteriously, the headsets went out in the first half between the quarterback and the and the coach. That happens consistently there in New England. The second thing is they always get the calls. Why? Because the Patriots have a huge fan base. Tom Brady got barely touched, and they called her roughing the passer. Alec, Alec, Alec Smith got hammered three or four times, not a peep out of him. And people just go, oh, yeah, that's it's Tom Brady, or that's the Patriots. The reality is that's because the, it's in the NFL's best interest for the Patriots to do well. And it always has been. For teams that have huge fan bases, they will do better because, and they'll get the calls because it's better for the NFL and teams go along with it. Why? Because it's better for that team because of revenue sharing. So do I think it's out-and-out match-fixing? Probably not. But do I think it's swayed by the fact that teams do well based on storylines doing well within the big four sports? Of course, I 100% do. And I think it affects the outcome of games. So. All right, well, Rich, what do you got to say? And I'm just going to oh. – okay. I'm, I'm going to say yes for one name only, uh, former NBA official Tim Donahue. This dude goes to prison for 15 months for betting on NBA games that he's officiating to make money in his pocket. Need we say more that there's stuff like – there's sketchy stuff that goes on in this in pro sports. So, yes – there's your hard proof evidence that this goes on, and that's all I'm going to say because there's nothing more to say. I mean, you can look back at the NBA Finals where D-Whistle, that's why I called Dwayne Wade as D-Whistle. As a Mavericks fan, we gave him that name. This dude goes to the basket untouched, 
<laughs> and, and like they blow the whistle every time he touched the ball, and I'm like, dude. And then when this Tim Donahue game, you know, this Tim Donahue uh, scandal comes up, makes you think he was an official from what 2002 to 2007. That uh, D whistle series was played played in 2006, and I believe he actually uh, officiated some of those games. So yes, there's your solid proof that there's fixed games going on in this world. As of today, who who knows? But it, it has been proven in recent past that this goes on, and you know it's it's just part of life, I guess. How did nobody bring up? Well, that on I'm gonna have to give this one. <laughs> I'm gonna have to give this one to Rich and Amos's naked, naked sky buddies. Uh, both of you guys made made great points, but really quick to what happened during the New England game. Yes, Alex Smith was roughed up a few times, but the one time Brady did get the roughing the passer was that guy took too many steps, and you're not supposed to do that. So I see where you're trying to come from in there, Matt, but I, I think Alex Smith should have gotten the too. But you don't that do really that. Run really got <laughs> that. So, I, I do, now, so as I realize, now in hindsight, I should have never said anything you about the Brady. <laughs> you could have been used to. You could have at least no, said, "Oh, no, Rich, no, at least no, brought no, something no, to the no, table with Tim Donahue, and he has to bring up the paper." Rich absolutely get no respect that's, tonight. That's not, that's not the reason why. That's not the reason why I I, I gave it to point. I know, I know. So I'm gonna. Uh, go, we need to go ahead and do this final. We're all. Right, we're tied up at four now. So the final question is, and um, I'll ask you. So we're both tied. So I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to flip a coin real, real quick here, and uh, yeah, Rich, we always, uh, Rich and Ryan, since you guys went first, we always just pick since Matt's the guest. Yeah, since Matt's the guest, they can uh, they get to pick if they want to go first or second in the last question. Since it's a tie. Okay, so the last question is who you're. Fine- who will be who will be your college football playoff teams or your way, way too early college football playoff teams for the 2016-2017 um, season? And Matt Namus, do you guys want to go first or second? Namus is second. <clears throat> Excuse me, second. All right, Richard Ryan. Who, which one? Which one of you guys wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. No, let me go ahead and go first because I'm I'm not going to spend my – Ryan, let me go ahead and go first because I'm not going to spend much time on this one. Okay. These are my uh, four picks. TCU, believe it or not, the sleeper team of next year's college football team is going to be Miami. Uh, Mark Richt has come down. He's got himself a quarterback. They're going to make a climb up there, and they're somehow going to sneak in. Go you. Uh, Alabama, Florida State, Florida. Alabama's going to win another national title. Like I said, way too early college football picks. All right. And Amos and Matt, which one of you guys wants to go first? You go ahead, go, Matt. I'll go against Ryan. Okay, I'll go. I'm going to go, and I would put a million dollars on this right now. Number four, Baylor. Seth Russell returns. He was probably the reason why they weren't in the top four this year with him being injured. And I, I, they're too good offensively guys in and out system stays the same success. Number three, I'm going to go with Alabama. Same thing guys in and out success. Nick Saban, always going to have a good running game and a solid front seven. That'll lead them there. Number two, I have a split for number two 
it's going to come between Ohio State and Michigan in their final game. Whoever wins that game will be the second-ranked team. And then number one has to be Clemson. That offensive line, who this is their first year together, they're going to have another year with more continuity. Deshaun Watson's returning. He had a monster national championship game, and I think he's returning as a junior, and he's going to be hungry, and he's going to want that title, and that's your one through four. All right. That means, Ryan, you're up. Go. Absolutely. Oklahoma going to make it. Baker Mayfield coming back. Uh, had an absolutely uh, great season. Um, Sanjay P. Ryan, uh, Joe Mixon, uh, the two running backs led the best rushing attack um, out of any of the Power Five conferences. So they're going to represent the Big 12. Alabama, they lose 12 – or they are returning 12 starters. It's not a great uh, group, but um, – you know, they just constantly uh, pump out great players. Bo, Bo Scarborough is probably going to be a Heisman candidate, so watch out for that. The dude's huge. Um, Sanford, the next one, they have McCaffrey, who I think is the best player in college football. Should have won the Heisman. Uh, over almost 4,000 all-purpose yards broke Barry Sanders' record. 8.4 average. And then you have Michigan returning 16 starters. Um, and the reason that they're going to take out Ohio State is Ohio State are losing nine underclassmen to go into the um, – uh, they're re- losing nine underclassmen. That's not even including the guys that graduate to the NFL draft. Michigan State loses a ton of players, um, especially, uh, you know, Connor Cook, Barnridge, Allen, Conklin. So that will be your four teams. All right. And, Matt, you're up. All right. We're almost at- yeah, we're almost out of time, so I'll be real quick here. It's uh, You're going to look at Michigan. I think that's a great pick. I think LSU, personally. Um, I think Clemson, and I think Alabama. All right. This is a really tough one, guys. Man. I'm, wait, has Ryan pulled out some stats? I, I was kind of leaning towards them, but we did run a little short on time, and Amos made some great points as well. Uh, I'm going to have to say Andy Reid's mustache wins this game. Yes. So, <laughs> That's weak. Bernie <laughs> made off. <laughs> All right. Tom Brady, you suck. There you go. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Malarkey's not only the best thing to happen to the Titans organization, but he's the best thing to happen to any organization ever. He's a bum. Don't, nice. don't, don't lie to the American nice. public. Nice. I like it. That even makes me laugh. That's how untrue that is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right. I guess we'll, we we'll be back tomorrow that. night. Yeah, tomorrow night, same time, same we'll be back place. back tomorrow night. So. All right, Matt. Matt Thanks for coming home and being my partner, Matt. Matt I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, great, great job, everyone. Have a good night. Well, there you have it. The boys were at it again. We hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast. We hope you had a good night and stay right where you are. Another show is coming up. Y'all come back now, you hear? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.